How are we doing, everyone? Welcome into another special edition of Final Whistle. Here with me today for a very special interview, one of my good friends, John Fanta. He is now a play-by-play -play for college basketball on Fox. He's also the host of Biggie Shootaround for the Biggie's Digital Network. And I got a lot to say. He's also the Field 68 podcast host for Demetrius with a splash of Fanta. John, thanks for taking some time out of your evening today to come on to Final Whistle and speak with me. Blaine, it's great to be with you here on, on the final whistle. I have been tuning into the pod, so it's awesome to, to be a guest on it. Congrats on getting it revved up. I'm excited for this one. This is great. Yeah, so let's jump right in. So, John, I know you're, so you're now working with uh, Fox Sports and as well as Big East Digital Network. What has that experience been like for you, especially to like either to watch people that have been doing it for 20 to 30 years in the industry, as well as now getting your foot in the door and now being able to call college basketball games and talk Big East basketball? Oh, it's, it's a great question. You know, I grew up only hoping that maybe I could be able to, to get on television and do this for a living. Um, and, and I'm very grateful to have an opportunity at Fox Sports as part of their college basketball roster and to be able to work for a conference that has tremendous leadership, the Big East Conference and the Big East Digital Network, and do a weekly men's basketball show where you're covering Villanova, who's won two of the last four national championships, where you're covering now UConn back in the Big East. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about national title success there. They, they just won it in 2014. It hasn't been that long. Uh, Seton Hall, St. John's, Georgetown, Providence, big time brands. And I, I think it, it's one of those things where Blaine, you grow up, you watch the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. You think, man, it's so cool. Middle of the day basketball, taxi cabs, driving through New York City. You're, they're going to break. They're showing the rustle and bustle of Midtown. And you're thinking, man, it'd be cool to be at someday. And to actually get to cover this conference day in and day out, and to, to have that week at the world's most famous arena, it gives you chills. And so for me, between that and then broadcasting games, you know, I grew up watching Bill Raftery. Doing a pregame hit with him gives me goosebumps. It really does. And some of the analysts I've worked with, Sarah Kustak, it's an honor to work with Sarah. She's a great person. She's the first person I worked a national telecast with. I worked with Sarah Kustak. And to be able to, to have the seat next to someone who typically shares that seat with Ian Eagle on the Nets on Yes coverage mm -hmm. is just, a, it's so cool to be able to pick the brain of that analyst and be able to do a game with her. Sarah is exceptional at what she does. Andy Katz. I grew up watching Katz Corner. I'm sure you did too. <laughs> with Daily Show, ESPN, ESPNU, he did outside the lines, he would fill in. Mm -hmm. and, and so to do games with Andy is awesome it's awesome so I'm, I'm really lucky to to get that opportunity and to do it day in and day out and, and it all started at Seton Hall University for me uh, a place that gave me opportunities and had the people that gave me chances so it's been unique I always say to young broadcasters say yes to any opportunity you know I said yes I was supposed to be a cameraman for a women's soccer game and said hey I'll do the game because they didn't have anybody to call a game and by doing that game they they asked me when it ended when can you do the next one? You know, so like just say yes and build those personal relationships. You never know what's going to happen. We got to know each other at the Seton Hall Rec Center and it was off pure chance. It was off pure chance, but that's, that's the key to relationships. Yeah, without a doubt. 
what was the what's been the best advice that you've received from one of your people that you're sitting next to in those chairs like a cats or etc the, the best advice that i think i've gotten is don't take yourself too seriously mm-hmm. if you make a mistake those those happen yeah it happened before they'll happen again recover you know you're gonna you're gonna when we're speaking for a living like you're gonna do things that you're gonna make a mistake you're gonna give a a a piece of, uh, of something that you could have done better. You could have delivered better. Or it might be a fact that needs to get corrected. Don't take yourself too seriously. Move on. It's like missing it. Players miss threes as a broadcaster. You might, you might have something happen. It's okay. The best broadcasters continue to move on. And then the other thing that I've always been told, Blaine, let it breathe. How many times are you watching a game and you say, man, could the broadcast just let the game speak for itself? The best broadcasters are known for having a one to four word call and, yeah. and laying out. And by laying out, meaning they give the call and then they lay out Derek Jeter's last game as a Yankee, right? Um, he comes around 30 scores. Michael K gives the call lays out. We hear the Yankee stadium, Johan Santana. It has happened. You know, the no hitter. <laughs> That's all Gary Cohen said. And, and so like the best broadcasters, do you believe in miracles? was a five-word phrase from Al Michaels. Onions from Bill Raftery. These are phrases that then the broadcaster associates with that big moment, and they lay out. So between don't over-talk, which I'm a talker, I'm guilty of it uh, in a variety of capacities, don't over-talk and be willing to accept the fact that you're not perfect and move forward. Yeah, I couldn't vouch for that even better than what you, how you said it because I feel like especially in our industry – it just becomes so natural that you want to be talking. And sometimes the best, the best alternative is just to let the game unfold and let the game play out. And then just those little bits and pieces, unless you're doing radio, radio, you have to be a lot more descriptive, of course, of what's going on in the action, but just letting the game unfold. And then when you have that key moment, have that, have that catchphrase potentially ready. Sometimes you expect the unexpected is what I think is what I've learned the most a lot in the sports journalism field, because you don't, especially after this past year, you don't know how many opportunities you're going to continue to get. So I think. Yeah. Be willing to adapt, right? The last year has shown us expect the unexpected. You you just said it, Blaine. It's the truth. I mean, you have to be willing to kind of be on your toes, accept the fact that games are getting canceled, changed. Things are happening. Move forward. That's what, that's what this is all about is moving forward off, off these things. And also I think Blaine, like the last nine months has taught us find ways to generate content. You don't just have to be a play-by-play broadcaster or just have to be an interviewer. Yeah. Do a podcast, um, do an article, find ways to be versatile. It's never been easier to do a pod. The final whistle has come about. And we're having a Zoom conversation. Ten months ago, not everybody knew what Zoom was. Now you're in Idaho and I'm in New Jersey. We're pulling this off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just continue that grind, regardless of how it's going to be done. Just embrace embrace the opportunity that, hey, I can do something here that I didn't even think that could be even put on full display. So just take every advantage to what you have said and try and take advantage of those opportunities when they're presented or even get creative with those opportunities as well. Yeah. So, fine way to get creative is true. So true. Yeah. So John, I got to ask you, 
So was sports journalism always the, the end goal, the dream for you? And what, what was, what is the, your end goal if, if it was your dream to start with? It was always my dream. I think ever since I was in the womb. Uh, but I'll tell you, when I got to about six, seven years old, I was watching Cleveland Indians games. And I thought it was so cool that the broadcasters were talking. And I thought to myself, they're doing this for a living. How cool is this? And it was so, so awesome that, that I would start turning the volume down as a kid. And after hearing an inning or two of a baseball game, I would start calling it. Or after hearing a quarter of a, of a Browns game, typically a bad quarter growing up, I would start calling it the following quarter. So I, I've always had that dream um, to be a broadcaster and started from an early age. When you grow up in Cleveland, you eat, breathe, sleep, die Cleveland sports, Browns, Indians, Cavs. And when LeBron James gets drafted in your childhood, you have a dream made. I mean, that was unbelievable. I got to watch him on TV every night of the NBA season. It was incredible, especially young LeBron. Like, it was so fun to be, to be 10 years old and watching this, this star grow before my eyes. I was 12 years old when he scored 26 straight points against the Pistons yeah. at the Palace of Auburn Hills in the Eastern Conference Finals. I will never forget that. It's one of my favorite childhood memories. So for me, it's always been a dream. Like that inspired my passion for this. And what was my dream job? My dream job, you know, has always been to be at a sports network and do a bunch of different things for them. Even from an early age, I loved watching Greg Gumbel host Selection Sunday. And, and back when we were growing up, he hosted the, the NFL Today. Yeah. Now he does games. He does NFL games. And he hosts um, March Madness. That's a dream. It's a dream of mine to host Selection Sunday. Uh, is there any more joy than watching the Selection Show when your team gets selected? And Greg Gumbel's the voice behind it. Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely almost like a different aura when he's doing it. And then once you see that name called, I know as Seton Hall guys, we would go nuts just even. Just seeing that name, even though we assumed sometimes, like even if you're like the big, we were the biggest champion, champion a couple of times, we knew we were getting a bid. Just knowing where you were going to end up, sometimes like, oh, we're going to like, we were in Salt Lake City that one year. Like we were like, oh, we're going to Utah. This is wild. Like, and then going across country, being in different parts of the arena and just having those people calling out your name just gives a difference, like a sense of credibility to your school a sense of pride to your school and so much more and like for me i i agree selection sunday is one of the greatest things that for me it's the college football playoff being reese davis that's that's a dream of mine being able to be all right who's gonna who's the first the four teams in who's that fifth team out like this year it could have been perfect with notre dame and texas a&m you had that debate if who was going to be in and out so that for me is a personal one. Uh, I actually have a fan question that uh, a couple of the people asked. So this one, uh, one follower I have, he asked this question actually last week to me as well. When I had a, a guy on my show, uh, Nathan, he was on this past Monday, the NR hour sports show. He asked, what is someone to do if they're not having that sports journalism degree, how can they work their way into the field? relationship building 
I mean, that's what it comes down to, Blaine, is, is nobody's looking. When they're hiring a broadcaster, they're not looking at the exact degree. They're looking at how do you call a game? How do you write a story? And how do you learn those things? You learn those things by meeting people, shaking their hands. When you meet somebody, don't talk to them about what they're doing professionally. Get to know them on a personal basis. Know the person before you know the professional. Because you showing the kind of person you are matters so much more than the kind of broadcaster or writer you are. There's a lot of talented broadcasters and writers. The people who get opportunities are the people who are friends, the people who are good to those people. It's a relationships world. So my advice to that person that asks that question is nurture the relationships. Don't always start a conversation with what do you do or what's your next assignment or how did you get to this point? Yeah. How are you? Where'd you go to school? Um, where are you from? Where are you living now? Family. Um, oh, how about that game last night? You know, not this, what's your next game? Or who do you contact for that? You'll build, you'll group those people. What you always want to do with your relationships is get them to a point in which the tough question, the unnecessary question, like asking them for career advice becomes doable for you to ask because you built that friendship with them. Absolutely. Networking and being able to have that occasional small talk with that person. It doesn't have to be as professional as people, many people think it is. It's just the, if you can be very casual and build that trust with that person you're speaking with, you're going to be able to go a long way in this, in this field. So I think that's a lot to be able to do with it. Small talk, being able to talk on different fronts. It doesn't have to be something that's directly sports related, as you mentioned, just like where you're from, hometown, et cetera. So I think just that being able to communicate in that small talk and being willing to network. Networking is one of the biggest things in, in sports journalism. You have, the more people you know, the more opportunities that will be presented. It, I, I, that's how I've seen it. And that's how I, it's worked for you as well. I, I can almost guarantee that. So uh, for the next question is another fan question. I have the best game you have covered in your career. <laughs> 2016 national championship game, Villanova, North Carolina, NRG stadium in Houston. Unbelievable night. Unbelievable finish. Chris Jenkins. I was on the far end. The other, the other baseline. When he made that shot, unbelievable. I have no words for what we saw that night. After Marcus Page hits an amazing three, hesitates in the air and still hits it, and then and then Archie Diacono finds Jenkins for the win. That will always be number one. I feel like that Marcus Page shot goes so unnoticed because of what Chris Jenkins did at the buzzer. That Marcus Page shot's difficulty was over a 10. Like, He's double clutching. He's on his way down. You can see Roy Williams' reaction. He's like half like half lost while when the shot's going up. Then he does his, his nice little baby jump after it goes in. And then so what what was going through that moment for you then when you were trying when you see Chris Jenks get the ball? Did you see that it was gonna probably go to him? Did the play kind of set up that way? You no, know, it's set up with Di- Archer Diacono going to the rim. I thought he was going to take it all the way and maybe get fouled or something happens when he fed it off. Nobody was expecting that when he just laid it off to Jenkins. It's a play that you don't always see. And he did. 
It's like a hook and ladder in college basketball is what it was. He hooked it right off to him and Jenkins climbed that ladder. And what was I thinking? When that shot went up and it went in, I immediately turned to my boss in the midst of the craziness. You know how they say media members don't cheer or whatever? Every media member in press row was standing when that shot went in. Not, not, not like, but like, oh my effing God, that just went in. What are we going to do now? The confetti goes off. Anybody who's writing a game story is rewriting. I'm running with a microphone to the floor to get reaction from anybody with a pulse. Because the national championship's hard. Everybody's getting mobbed. So can you find an interview? And I was down on the floor, and, and Villanova's going up the ladder to, to cut down the nets. And I'm next to Roly Massimino, the Villanova legend who coached the Cats to a national title in 1985, the perfect game against Georgetown. And I said, Coach, I said, can I get you for a minute? And he goes, and he just nodded his head. And um, it was amazing. I, I had chills, chills up my spine. I couldn't believe that night in Houston. It was so cool. Yeah, that, that moment was probably surreal. Because, like, for me, watching it from home, that reminded me of the Indiana-Kentucky Indiana game back at Assembly Hall with Watford. Yes. The shot with Watford to knock down number one Kentucky. They were both undefeated. It would, the play almost set up the exact same way. You watch the, the inbound players, the trailer. It's you, he's your, usually your best three-point shooter. You do the little hook and ladder pass to him. So that, that was what that was the first thing that came to mind. And I was just like, then when the confetti went off, I was like, I know this. I'm pretty sure it was the shot was gone clearly. But then everyone's like, you hear Jim Nance going, well, we got to check if he went in or not. We don't know if we're going to have to get a confetti off the floor. Janitorial stuff. It was just surreal, one of those surreal moments in college sports. Unbelievable. It really was. You're exactly right. Surreal is the way to describe it. So was that, was that one of the best interviews that you've had? Or is that top, one of the top five getting the getting Massimino from 85? Awesome. I mean, it was a great interview. I got Jay Wright after the 2018 Big East tournament title game. And it was such an, a powerful interview because we were walking in the hallway. You know, we were literally in the hallway. I was getting Jay's thoughts. It was really strong stuff. And, and, and he was next to his wife, Patty, who doesn't get on camera much and doesn't, doesn't do many media opportunities. And having her there, it kind of shows every coach has a backbone, you know. And I think that, that Patty is that to Jay. And it was really cool to get him kind of in that human moment. Talking to Isaiah Whitehead after the 2016 Big East Tournament title game, I, I look back at that interview um, – at least once or twice in off season and um, talking with Isaiah uh, nicknamed Z um, talking with Z on the floor of the garden after a Brooklyn kid leads Seton Hall University to a Big East championship. That was cool. That was really, really, really cool. And I was a junior in college mm -hmm. and I remember playing you know, like Seton Hall had been in such a low the year before to climb the ladder and cut down a net at Madison Square Garden never even crossed our minds. It happens sometimes when you least expect it. So that was, it was really cool for me to, to have that interview. I sat down with Patrick Ewing when he took the Georgetown job, his first preseason interview ahead of his first season, about, about four weeks away from the season starting. I sat down with him. That's an interview I'll never forget. It was really, it gave me chills. And I, I got to talk to John Thompson last year. And that was a great, 
the, the list goes on and on. I'm really grateful to talk to people who, who we look up to. Jim Beheim, Alan Iverson did one about a minute with him, but it was a minute I'll never forget. I mean, Dick Vitale, Jay Billis, like guys that, guys that we revere, and uh, it's yeah. been cool. Charles Barkley, I did five minutes with Charles Barkley two and a half years ago. He was hysterical. It was awesome. What was, it, what, what was he like? Like you see on TV. That's why it works. He's genuine and he's funny. He's funny as hell. He was talking about betting on Villanova for the national title game on camera. It's like, all right, Charles, like you're going to go on TV. And now we all know why you're praising Nova. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they, that's why they Turner sports puts him on for the March madness. <laughs> yes. And that's why when they hit the game winner, he was jumping up and down and Kenny Smith went. <laughs> so he was beside himself. Oh my goodness. I love Charles. So let's transition to this year now, John. So what's the, what's your current outlook of the Big East conference right now? Uh, Villanova is a final four caliber team uh, and has shown it. They're five and oh in Big East play Blaine. Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels are a a dynamic duo. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl has taken such a big step from freshman to sophomore year. We all thought it would happen, but to watch it happen is special. They have a completeness about them. It's Villanova's league until someone takes it from them. Villanova's going to win the Big East regular season title. They're three up in the lost column on everybody else. Creighton is a dark horse team. You know, what they did against Seton Hall, as we do this interview on Wednesday night, was shocking. You know, they were down by 16 with 10 minutes to change. That is as wild of a comeback win as you're going to see. Yeah, and they were down eight with roughly three and a half left, right? It was something, something I mean, close. Really Some of those shots that Bal- Balak and Zagorowski were hitting were absolutely ridiculous. Balak was on a different level last night. He really was. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't say this just as a guy that, look, people sometimes say, oh, you went to Seton Hall. It forms your opinion. Let me tell you something right now. The shot making that Creighton had, if you don't give Creighton credit for what they did last night, you're not seeing the game the right way. Yeah. You can both blame Seton Hall for losing the game, but you that has to be accompanied by, oh my goodness, some of the shots they were making. I don't know what you would do to defend them any better. So credit to Creighton. This team is a dark horse, Blaine. Anything, like in Omaha, the expectations, anything less than a Sweet 16 would be a major disappointment for the Creighton Blue Jays. They have a vision that they're going to make a deep run, and I think they've got the cojones to make that run. I just wonder in the Big East, like, who are three, four, five? UConn has shown us how good they are defensively. They're length inside. Seton Hall, Miles Kell and Jared Roden have clearly taken a leap. Sandro Mamukelas really is a star. Point guard play has been inconsistent. It depends what Bryce Aiken you get. And Seton Hall's been on the doorstep of a couple of big wins. They haven't been able to close. Yeah. That's huge. Um, Xavier, surprising team. They're 10 and 2, but we haven't seen enough of them in conference play yet to determine a judgment. Providence, a team that's inconsistent for much of the year but typically february is their month so the middle of the big east is kind of a question mark i think it's a five bid league in the ncaa tournament maybe a six but i would say five i think that villanova creighton uconn xavier and seton hall are all in good standing with the potential for a six if it were six it would be providence yeah and i would just can you was that the order you would put them in right now in the in right your now, I, would put, I would do Villanova, Creighton, UConn, Seton Hall. They beat Xavier head to head, and Xavier. That would be my top five. I, I like it. So I, I mean, for the Pirates, I know Willard came out yesterday. We're both Seton Hall guys, so I have to ask. 
with Aiken's minute restriction, what do you what do you think we're gonna get with Bryce Aiken finally and actually now healthy? Is this team gonna be really scary now? Because what he put on last night, like I was screaming at the TV to put him in until I found out that Willard had he was on a minutes restriction, of course. So what do you what do you expect from them? Well, he gives them the the edge to make something happen in March to win a tournament game, you know, and be in a second game. Um, Bryce Aiken is an explosive offensive player who changes the games within a blink of an eye when he's fully healthy. I mean, it's why the kid on his career has averaged around 17 points per game. You just don't do that in your career without changing a game offensively. I think for Kevin Willard, it's just, it's almost covering up some of the defensive flaws to his game and finding ways to cover those up in other ways. You have to, you have to play a matchup zone. You have to apply some pressure. You have to do some things differently, but I agree with you. Like Seton Hall for me is a team that just makes the tournament and maybe, maybe wins their first game, but it's, it's an unknown. If Bryce Aiken is playing to his level and this Seton Hall team can defend a little bit better. Every Seton Hall follower right now is looking at Saturday's game against Villanova and they're calling it a must win. So let me tell you, let me counter that for a second. Okay. When you say must win, that means if you lose the game, your season is over. Yet if I said to you, is the season over if they lose the game, you would say, no, it's not over, but it forces them against the wall because now you have to go on a run of like winning four or five, winning five of six. Guess what? You want to make the tournament? Every team does that at some point. Seton Hall's going to have to do that. I mean, I, I think that their chances on Saturday are not great. You played Villanova to a two-point game the first time out. What are the odds that you would play them to that tight of a game again? And you don't have a home crowd. Uh, and Villanova's going to be up for you. And Villanova's well-rested. I think Seton Hall's a good team. Bryce Aiken could make them great on a day. And that's why people should get excited about them. Yeah, I agree with you, John. I don't think their season's over, but it gets really bleak on Saturday. If they, I think it gets bleak. And I think more than anything, like, I think every, you'd rather have that five or six game winning streak going into the tournament anyway, because a lot of those teams that are the teams that are at the end are the teams that are the hottest going into the tournament. Going yeah, into- sometimes it's okay if you lose a game before the tournament because you're coming off that. If you're still playing good basketball, like, you could win four or five. If you lose that final game of, you know, your Big East tournament or whatever it is, like remember 2016, Seton Hall went in rolling, but they were almost riding too much of a high, and then they lost right away in the NCAA tournament. Sometimes it's a mix. Can you both be hot, but maybe lose at the perfect time? It's, it's kind of a, it's a weird mix yeah. in the NCAA tournament. It really is. So out of the five teams we haven't mentioned, is there a t- or five, six teams we haven't mentioned? Is there a team in the Big East that you really, really think that are, they might not be there yet, but they're close? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I have a team. And I, I, Blaine, that is a great question. Do you know who I'm going to go with here? I've got a I've got a thought, but I don't want to throw it out because I think I'm going to be really wrong. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you right now. I think it's St. John's. That um, was honestly the guess. It was St. John's or Marquette. I was going to go with. So. I love it. I love it. I I think St. John's is a dangerous dog. Posh Alexander is a big time player who was recruited by Seton Hall as well, but pick St. John's. He's a Brooklyn kid. He has toughness, man. This kid defends the hell out of you. And he drives the bucket and knows how to score. I love watching this kid play. I mean, there is not a player like him in college basketball right now. I mean, and and I'm serious. This kid is that relentless on the defensive end of the floor. 
and, and can light it up from deep. Julian Champagne, he's taken a big step. He and his brother Justin are two of the headliners in college basketball. Justin at Pittsburgh, Julian at St. John's. Champagne's got this great knack of just, like, he quietly scores, but his buckets are efficient, and he makes a difference on the game. Mm-hmm. So for St. John's, I like I like their, their star power there. I think that there's complementary cast has started to carve out their roles. Vince Cole, Isaiah Moore, Josh Roberts. Ever since Josh Roberts started to start for St. John's, it's made a difference. The Red Storm have won four of their last five. They are the team I would pick to be a spoiler. Yeah, and do you th- speaking of St. John's, how do you think – do you think it was for them it was just trying to figure out how to play without Figaro with him transferring to Oregon for a significant start of the season? Yes. Yes, I do. I think that's a, that is a, a really good point because when you lose that caliber of a score, I actually think we see the same thing with Seton Hall late in these games right now. What is preventing them from winning? You don't have a number 13 on the floor. Miles Powell made plays for so many seasons that it's hard to, and it should be Mamu or Aiken, like, but you need that go-to guy. So for St. John's, Figueroa transferring to Oregon left a huge scoring void for them. And what you have is you have guys attempting that role, Blaine, but nobody wants to say, hey, I'm taking it. I'm doing it. Now St. John's has found that with Alexander and Champagny kind of splitting those duties up. You feel like they have guys that can make plays late in the game, which we both know following Big East basketball. What what do a lot of these games come down to? Who makes that that last play? St. John's has struggled with that in the recent years. I think they finally have some pieces that could change that. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like their the athleticism is always there with them. They can play defense. They can run the floor. Their athleticism is always off the charts. It's always just down the stretch. They can't figure it out usually. And that's been their hindrance. So John, I want to transition now to college basketball, big picture. And I know it's pretty much a two horse team right, league right now with Gonzaga and Baylor at the top is how big is that gap between those from them and the rest of the field. Oh, it's big. I think it's sizable right now. I think that both teams have proven that they are uh, more than worthy of that standing. Everybody's been talking about Gonzaga, um, and and rightly so. Baylor belongs right there because of Jared Butler, an All-American guard, Jonathan Shamwa Tetua, who's been tremendous in the paint for this Baylor team um, and has really provided the type of contribution that we saw from – Freddie Gillespie last year for this Baylor team. You know, they, they got great contributions in the paint from him. And I think that Shamwaf Tatua has been that type of guy for them down low this season. I also think that Macy OT has been an excellent forward for them and does a little bit of everything. And Baylor literally defends the hell out of you. I mean, they are, they are going to make you work to get to the 60. Gonzaga. Gonzaga has backup guards that would start on any team in the country. I mean, Andrew Namhard was is their number three or four guard. He yeah. started for Florida, Blaine. He started for Florida. Not a, not a mid-major. He was starting for an SEC school. Gonzaga is they – are, they are the clear number one. Baylor's the clear number two. As time goes on, you know, I, would it shock me if one of them didn't make the Final Four? No, it's, it's March Madness for a reason. But I would be shocked if we didn't see at least one of them in the Final Four. And if we get that in the national title game, it truly would be an example of, you know, two all-time great, great teams, both teams who just have not fallen. 
and we could, we would finally be able to see him play because the first game in the regular season was po- was canceled because of COVID, unfortunately. It would be fitting. You're absolutely right. It would be very fitting to see them play. Yeah. So, John, I want to transition now out of college basketball. You're a Cleveland sports guy. Grew up in Cleveland. <laughs> Give me your big picture of what you're seeing out of your Browns, your Cavs, and your Indians. I know that. So what do you what do you got? Let's start with the Browns first. You guys made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Got that playoff win against Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. What was going through your head at that moment when the snap goes over Big Ben and you score that first touchdown? Did you feel like it was an omen that the game was gonna that it was in your hands? Well, when that happened, I thought maybe maybe it is our night. Uh, maybe it is our night, and maybe that was what was needed to kind of take the pressure off of not having your head coach and not having this, that, and the third. The Browns were so shorthanded. They had COVID issues all week. They just showed up to Hyde's Field Sunday, and you didn't even know if the game was going to happen on schedule. So when that ball gets snapped and goes over Big Ben's head, Big Ben, who's what, six foot seven, he's practically a seven foot quarterback, and it goes over his head from Pouncey, who's an all pro center. I was stunned. But no lead felt safe in that game. When they went up 28-0, it didn't feel safe. When they were up, what, 31-7, to I think, at half, it never felt safe. It never once felt safe until the clock hit zero because as a Browns fan, you you hate the Steelers, you hate their guts, but you respect the hell out of Mike Tomlin because you know he's not going to let up and he's going to be in the game. That night, though, felt like a baptism for Browns fans. It felt like all the sin of the last 25 years was washed away. It was so fun to watch, Blaine. And for the city of Cleveland, this team was the best part of a last year with COVID-19 that's been so destructive. Ohio's been hit hard by the virus. The Browns brought people together um, and brought us together, albeit virtually. It was so fun to see. I can't wait to see the Browns have success with First Energy Stadium filled. You're not going to find a better atmosphere in sports. That, that place will be rocking and rolling. So it was so fun to go to Pittsburgh and finally beat Ben Roethlisberger, who they had never beaten inside Heinz Field. I mean, the Browns just have never had success at Heinz Field. Before that win, Blaine, they had only won at Heinz Field once, one time. So it was unbelievable and so much fun to take in. That was such a great night for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, just Kudos to them, and I think Baker Mayfield has made those strides that you guys had hoped for under Stefanski already in year one, which was incredible in itself. With Odell being out and injured with his torn ACL, what do you what do you think? Is he going to be a Cleveland Brown next year? Or I do, I do think he's going to be a Cleveland Brown. He wants to be in Cleveland. The Browns are happy with him. I think that a lot of the attitude stuff, like Odell, likes to win. He's always talked about, put me in a winning atmosphere. This is a winning atmosphere. Kevin Stefanski's a no BS head coach. And here's the thing, Blaine. At this point, Odell Beckham has to make it work. Because at this point, if he were to get traded, I know everybody wants the talent, but this would be two straight stops that don't work out for him off the field. Which team would want to take on that risk? You know, so for the Browns and for Odell, for Odell, it's more important that Odell makes it work. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that we'd be saying this? Yeah. Because the Browns, the Browns don't need Odell Beckham to be successful. They've just showed that they could be successful without him. They made the playoffs without him for the majority of the year. But if Odell's at his best, it changes 
the game because you have Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who Blaine, I thought, was fantastic as a he rookie. He really did step up. Uh, uh, Kellen Hodge, another one. Yep, Kaderil Hodge. You add Odell Beckham into the equation. You got Austin Hooper. You got Harrison Bryant. Kareem Hunt is a receiver. Nick Chubb sometimes is a receiver. You're not going to meet a, a more effective, a, a, a deeper offense than that one. You won't. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what, what are your expectations for them? What is a realistic expectation for them next year? Is it win the division or is it make the playoffs again? Yeah, the, the expectation is going to be to win the AFC North and be a Super Bowl contender. I mean, that is the expectation now in Cleveland. They have a head coach. They have a quarterback. Baker Mayfield had 28 touchdowns to eight interceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's a mark of a, of, a, of a quarterback who found himself. You know, I don't want to hear that he's average anymore. He silenced all those people. This, this kid can play. And he could play in the big games. I mean, he had a couple of drives late in the season. You you have to put together a good drive. Baker Mayfield putting together. Kansas City's defense does not get enough credit for what they do. And they did an amazing job shutting down the Browns late in the game in the divisional round. But I'll tell you what, Blaine, look how close the Cleveland Browns were. I don't I know Mahomes went out, but Look, games take on lives of their own. Look how close the Browns were. I, some people say we're that yeah. close from getting the ball back. That yeah. How about, and how about Higgins earlier in the game? The ball goes out of the back of the end zone. It's one of the. I hate that rule, but it is what it is. Cleveland is. If Cleveland gets a good defense, if they build their defense up, they're going to win the AFC North, and they're going to be in. I mean, they they could make a deep playoff run. I like that. There's that bold prediction. I like it. So what do you what do you see now? Let's transition to the Cavs next. They're the, the ones that are playing now, and they're they've actually surprised some people this year. They're they're young. That I think the Jarrett Allen trade, you guys acquiring him, has actually been more of a sleeper play than people have thought. What are you seeing out of them? They're very young. Yeah, they they traded a, a pretty meaningless late first round draft pick for Jarrett Allen you know, as part of that move, and they got Tory and Prince in the process. They're not going to be able to keep Andre Drummond's contract yeah. with his contract situation, but I'll tell you what. The question for the Cleveland Cavaliers was, can Colin Sexton and Darius Garland be the guys for this team, or are they going to be the fifth or sixth option on this team? Colin Sexton is a superstar. This yeah, kid yeah. is the key. He's kind of the quietest story in the NBA right now, but if you watch the Cavs play, he's not quiet at all. Cleveland is – they're playing team basketball in a superstar-driven league. And when you do that in the NBA, you're going to be in a lot of games. You're going to have a chance. And Sexton kind of has this Jamal Murray-like rise right now. I like that comparison. I really do. The way that Murray sort of came out of nowhere in Denver, that's what I'm seeing out of Sexton in Cleveland. They're a very interesting team. And with Jared Allen and with Andre Drummond on this team, with Chetty Osman, who hits big shots. Cleveland, they're defending. They've been the worst defensive team in the NBA the last couple of years. J.B. Bickerstaff has them playing more together. He's, he's definitely changed the culture. They're, they're a kind of a quiet team in the NBA that can contend for that seven or eight seed. And for the Cavaliers, that'd be a great step for them. You, you can't tank every year. And with the way the NBA draft structured now, they're not rewarding tanking. you got to win some games. The Cavs are developing – by winning games. That's how you develop as a team. You got to find a way to win. And they're doing that. 
and I, and Colin Sexton just in the last week alone put the Brooklyn Net big three right on notice by himself. He put up monster numbers. He scored and those overtime and second overtime, he scored something ridiculous. I think it was 18 or 20 straight by himself in overtime alone. He really just put the team on his back. And I think it's going to be real surprising. Do you see, what do you see? Is Kevin Love going to stay or is he, I know there's been rumors that he's going to be sent out. What do you, what, yeah, is he going to stay? I, I think the road's about to end there. You know, it sounds like the Cavs going to buy that out, buy that contract out. Bleach Report reported that earlier this week. I, I don't know what will be done there. It's not a great contract situation. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but Dan Gilbert's willing to do what he can as an owner. You know, people complain about Dan, but Dan spends money and Dan, Dan understands what he needs to do at times. So, you know, um, I, I, I think the road, unfortunately, probably has to end. Kevin, Kevin loves on the back half here. I think he's got a couple seasons left and then we'll yeah. see, you know, could go to a championship caliber team maybe and help them out morale wise, locker room wise. And, and as a solid player, but yeah, it, it's, it's not a position here where he's one of the main parts of the equation in Cleveland any longer. I agree. And then lastly, let's transition now to the Indians and they're, they're going to make a name change. They won't be the Cleveland Indians after this year. I, I, we, I felt like for me, it was going to almost inevitable, especially with Washington changing their name after getting rid of the Redskins name and now becoming the Washington football team. Um, there's also rumors that the Braves are going to potentially change their logos as well. What, what is your – and the Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco trade. What, give me your overall impression of what you're going to see out of them. Yeah, so Cleveland's cutting their payroll, and that's the sad reality of the situation. When you're in smaller market baseball, you have a window that opens because you better be able to develop your farm system. So the Indians' window opened because they did develop their farm system. They developed Francisco Lindor. They developed Shane Bieber who's still the, one of the best pitchers in baseball and will be back to lead the rotation. And that's the sad thing about it, Blaine, is that the Indians front office does good things. Yeah. They draft incredibly well. Three fifths of their starting rotation is made up of 2016 draft picks. That's a, that's insane in baseball guys that just yeah. got drafted five years ago that are now part of the rotation and good rotation arms. Zach Plesak being another uh, Mike Clevenger was there no longer, but you developed him and you know, you've got a good track record here uh, of starting pitching. Tristan McKenzie is another guy that came on at the end of last year. Trading Carrasco really is, is, is tough for Indians fans to swallow. They always knew Francisco Lindor was going to be traded, but Blaine, I think the biggest thing with the Indians then is if you can't keep Francisco Lindor, who are you ever going to be able to keep? Yeah, He was a consummate professional, the face of the franchise, an elite shortstop, everything you would want on your team, and you can't keep him? And he loved he loved the city. He loved the city. You can't keep him because you don't have the money? It's got the fan base really, really upset. And yeah. uh, I covered the team this past summer for Indians Baseball Insider. I'll probably do some coverage of them again. I'll tell you what, that's a really tough pill to swallow for, for Cleveland Indians fans. It won't be – you know, you're losing your team name, and, and it's time. I get it with everything happening. This, this, but, Blaine, when you grow, you grow up with a team, now that team name's gone. Yeah. And I totally understand why. You pair that up with you've lost your superstar player. You lost one of your franchise guys in Carlos Carrasco, who's awesome, and won a Roberto Clemente Award, battled leukemia, overcame it. Now you're shipping him off. 
you know, this has been a tough off season. It's been a bad off season for the Cleveland Indians. They're going to be an average team at best average at best team this upcoming season though. They could make the playoffs if they go with this expanded field of eight aside because half the league makes it if you, you know, but but which I don't like, they'll be an average team. Oh yeah. No, I can relate to the small market as a athletics guy where we roll through guys like change. They are, <laughs> we have a different newcomer, new guy from the system. About half our team's gonna, half our team's again gone this year. So it'll that's be, it we're gonna be the same way. That's how it goes with with Cleveland, Oakland, and Tampa. Tampa won't stay great forever. They had their chance to win a World Series. It didn't happen. So you have to, you have to retool. I mean, they win a World Series if they don't bench Blake Snell, but who knows? <laughs> well, John, I really want to thank you to take some time out of your evening to come on to Final Whistle and chat with me today. It was a real pleasure and an honor to have you on. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Blaine, I would love to be on the Final Whistle anytime. Definitely stay well, my friend. Great to join you tonight. It's a really fun pod. And I'd love to do it again soon as well, perhaps maybe around March Madness, which isn't too far away, my friend. Maybe maybe we'll get you on and you can ha- do a little bracketology for me. Fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Thanks again, man. This was awesome. Of course. Well, that's another edition of Final Whistle, everyone. You know when your our episodes come out Tuesdays and Fridays. Stay tuned. We're going to have another episode come out tomorrow. Have, enjoy your evening, everyone.